The RPG After Years is part of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Find out more at probablywork.com. Welcome to the RPG After Years, your weekly show covering all things RPGs from the past, present, and future. I'm Scott. And I'm Rich. Yeah, so this is episode 69. Nice. Nice. And today it's finally time to review our latest completed RPG Club game. We're talking about Square Enix's 2016 PlayStation 4 spinoff. It's World of Final Fantasy! Yay! You know what, Rich? All of a sudden, I'm in. I'm in a good mood. <laughs> like I'm in an anime. I don't yeah. know what to do. I'm in weeb mode now. I feel. Be- <laughs> I feel. I'm in a get better mood than I was starting out this episode anyway. Because uh, me too. Spoiler alert: uh, Rich and I were not Wolf's biggest fans, but we'll get there. Yep. Um. Oh, and by the way, whenever we say Wolf, that means World of Final Fantasy. We'll probably use that more than the whole title during this show. Yes. But anyway, before we jump straight into the review, we do need to do uh, a safe state of the podcast real quick like. What the honk? That's our transition noise for this episode. (laughs) Okay, so RPG Club. We announced the winner last week, right, Rich? Yes. Okay. RPG Club. So we're playing Secret of Mana. That thing has kicked off. People are actively playing Secret of Mana right now. And... Rich, you actually already hit the checkpoint, didn't you? I did. I could not put it down. I kept going. I plugged away. Well, also what the fact was that I I, um, I got my second shot and it put me down. Like I was just worn out, couldn't really do much, just exhausted. So I just, just played World, or played uh, Secret of Mana and I really liked it. Really? Yeah. yeah interesting. Well, uh, let's not dwell on it, but like, yes. w- what did you like about it? Um, it's got a lot of the the feels of I know you hate this. It's got kind of a chrono, you know, chrono trigger feel to it. The the art style behind it, uh, the combat's nice. Um, the music's good. 
so far the story's okay. It's not overcomplicated. So that's what I like about it. Okay. Well, I have not, I've technically not started, but I also technically have because I started playing Secret of Mana like a couple months back. And then I found out Frost was going to nominate it for RPG Club. So I was like, hmm, better wait. Because I kind of had a feeling that it had a good shot of winning. Just, you know, how much people love the game. Um, but yeah, I I wasn't really feeling it. I, I, I didn't get to... I don't know exactly where I am as in response. <laughs> but uh, I got past like the Water Palace, I think, was the last thing I did. Where you get that big exposition dump. Okay. Which, I just felt like there was a lot of things in there that like it didn't explain. And then Frost said you have to read the manual, but uh, yeah, which no one did. Yeah. No one has done that. <laughs> um, so anyway, if you're playing along with us, which we highly encourage everybody to do, the current checkpoint is to finish the Earth Palace, and that's due by Sunday, July 11th. If you have a hard time understanding what the Earth Palace is, please check the Discord or on some of our tweets out there on Twitter, because it kind of explains a little bit what the Earth Palace is and your checkpoint, just so you know. Were you confused? Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought if I didn't ask questions, I would I would have blown past it. Gotcha. So, okay. Well, I might need to ask you offline then. <laughs> yes. Okay. Another announcement. Um, the material lockdown has unseris- unceremoniously concluded. So I think it was another decent year for the material lockdown. We raised almost the same amount this year as we did the past two years combined, I believe. Nice. So um, let's raise a lot of money for the Motor Neuron Disease Association. And thank you to everybody who participated. I know I, for one, finally beat the uh, Emerald and Ruby weapons on my lockdown. Yes, you did. Rich, do you remember um, a long time ago we did an episode about uh, our greatest RPG shames, like our personal shames? Mm-hmm. I see where you're going here. That was one of mine that I had never done that. So oh, good. <laughs> I thought you were going at me again. I'm like, yeah, that's you, not good. I don't remember what your shames were. Sorry, I missed that. Well, and Could you Siri, say it again, please? My Siri just flipped out at me. Siri wants to remind you. Um, but yeah, so thanks everybody for participating in that. And we look forward to doing so again next year. Now, another thing, now that that's over, everything's happening at once, Rich. Um, JRPG July, it's back. It's here. Back. Um, we're all super busy this year, and I, for one, am. I don't have time for another to add another game to the pile right now to play to play offline or likewise. So I'm just gonna pick like game a game I'm already playing or have started. <laughs> I have picked mine already. What are you gonna do? So you remember that game, um, Death Quest Re Parentheses Quest or whatever it was called? Oh yeah, yeah. I picked that up. Why? It was on sale. I don't, it looked interesting. I, okay. I watched anime. I watched an anime uh, over the weekend. I was like, I got the bug all of a sudden. So I picked up, um, looked at my Switch. It was on sale. And I saw that game. I'm like, that was on the show earlier. Hmm. It's coming out. So I'll try it. So okay. it's interesting. All right. Um, so for those that don't know, JRPG July is just an event. It's not just an RPG after years event, but we you know, try to join in with the entire community of RPG lovers. Um, basically we sign up for a game that we plan to finish in July. And then we all like talk about it and it's like a fun community thing. So I think what I'll do tomorrow is in on the, tw- put out a tweet or something, just asking people to sign up for their games or tell us what they're playing. 
Um, it's going to be a little lower key this year than last year, I think, but it's still a fun thing that we don't want to pass up, you know? Yeah. Be a good time. Yep. Okay. So moving on to the RPG releases, the RPGs released in the last week, I'll go ahead and try to speed through these. Empire of Angels 4 came to PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Uh, Legend of Mana also came to PS4, Switch, and PC. Speaking of Mana. Um, the Dungeon of Nalhilblok. <laughs> I have no idea how to say that. The Amulet of Chaos. That came to PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Scarlet Nexus came to PS5, PS4, Xbox Series, Xbox One, and PC. And... I haven't bought that yet, but that was a game I was interested in personally. But I think it, I just didn't hear much about it after it came out. So I haven't either. I've heard it's good. I've heard some people like really enjoy it, but that's about it. I've heard lukewarm to good reviews is like the general consensus. I was kind of hoping it would be, you know, great, but Hmm. oh well. And this is also weird. Disgaea 6, Defiance of Destiny. Is coming to Switch on June 9th, June tw- well, it came to Switch on June 29th. I believe Bill got a preview code for that. I wonder how, how's that coming, Bill? <laughs> Let us know. Yeah. Um, oh, I hate this guy. Anyway, Greedfall Gold Edition. That came to PS5 and Xbox Series. And that's it for what came out this last week. All right, so here we go. Here's some some things coming out in the next week. Yeast. Nine monstrous monstrum Knox switch and PC July 6th, North America. Uh, yep, I've got that pre ordered, ready to be picked up. I know a lot of people are um, excited about this East Nine game, so it'll be interesting to see how it actually gets received. I have not played a East game since the first time, so yep, okay. But uh, with all that out of the way, let's step through the gate into the review. What the all right, so today we're talking about World of Final Fantasy, which came out in North America on October 25th, 2016, which was 1,709 days ago, or four years, eight months, and five days ago. For once, that feels about right to me. Like, that, that feels about how long I remember it coming out. Yeah, um, sounds about right. I remember playing it on release. I think I only made it through, like, that first dungeon area. Because this was early in Corey and I's relationship and, you know, just whatever. I think I played it briefly on the on my Vita. Yeah. And then stopped. I wonder how different the Vita version is. Mm. So in Europe, it actually came out only three days later on October 28th. That was only a, a 1,706 days ago or four years, eight months and two days. So... On this show, we always talk about what was the number one music and movies at the time of release, a little history lesson. So I think these songs that we're about to play, I think pretty much everybody has probably heard them at some point or another. But uh, in the U.S., the number one song was Closer by the Chainsmokers featuring Halsey. What do you think about this song, Rich? I love it. 
I do yeah. like this song. I do too. I'm like a, I'm like, I'm, it's very shameful because like chain smokers are just considered like so basic, but I like a lot of their stuff. Um, it's a good song. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I remember I was on a cruise once and this came on and like all the fucking teenagers were singing it. So <laughs> they ruin everything. Yeah, for real. Uh, speaking of teenagers or maybe more accurately described in this case, tweens in the UK, it was sorry by Justin Bieber. As cringe as the Biebs is, I do think that some of his songs are, you know, okay. I like it. Yeah, I, I get. You remember, I'm boy band. I like boy bands. Yeah. Ish. <laughs> I, I like it too, but I don't love it. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting that that's what the UK picked this time. Bill, there's some. I, I bet Bill's a Justin Bieber fan. <laughs> I saw this live. That's what Bill just sent. I love it. Oh wow, that's awesome. Uh, wait, you should say where you sent. Uh, saw it. Anyway, uh, do you want to do the movies, Rich? Yes. So, in the U.S., the box office number one was Boo! A Medea Halloween, directed by and starring Tyler Perry. I, I don't I've never seen, seen a, this. No, I've not, a, I've not seen a Medea uh, movie in a long time. Okay. I heard they're funny. I mean, I just never really watched them. I saw um, the, first, the very first one not that long ago, and it was funny, but I, it wasn't really necessarily about Medea. So I think that that like spun off into its own thing where she became mm-hmm. the main character. So I don't know if the other ones would be as funny. I, I feel like too much Medea might be not a good thing, you know? Yeah, that's true. So in the second one in the UK, the box office number one was Trolls, directed by Mike Mitchell and starring Anna Kendrick, Justin Timberlake, Zoe Deschanel, Russell Brand, James Corden, and Gwen Stefani. I do love me some Zoe Deschanel. I also love Zoe Deschanel. Are, uh, have you seen this movie? Nope. I would have thought you would have been the number one Trolls fan. No, I, <laughs> I grew out of that. No, yeah, I just never watched it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it had such an uh, ensemble cast, though. Yeah, they they have some good um, good uh, actors that you know voice these things, like Russell Brand. He's he's a little wacky. Yeah, for sure. I do love how like all these actors that we know. Um, some of them that do these kid movies like have done some pretty hardcore stuff in their life. Like Russell Brand's done a lot of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you like, gotta be on hey. drugs to be in trolls, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's like, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's have you come to be part of the, this, um, children's movie, but you can't snort cocaine right. while you're doing it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what was going on in the world at the time of this game's release. So let's, uh, jump into the history here. I actually, found quite a bit of information. It seems that they, the director and some other staff of this game was interview happy around the time of release. So lots of info. Um, but yeah, so let's just jump right in. So World of Final Fantasy is a role-playing video game developed by Toast and published by Square Enix. It is a spinoff of the Final Fantasy franchise featuring characters from across its mainline and supplementary series. It was initially released for the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita in 2016, and later ported to Microsoft Windows in 2017, via Steam, I believe. And then an updated version, World of Final Fantasy Maxima, which is the version I played, 
was released as a port for Nintendo Switch and Xbox One in 2018, with the Windows and PS4 receiving the Maxima update as downloadable content. So yeah, you, you so played we'll, the original version, right? You didn't do the upgrade? Okay. No, I did, I did the Switch version. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I did that with you. Um, so World of Final Fantasy was produced and overseen by Business Division 3 of Square Enix. That's weird. Very uh, the initial title. Yes, very, very. The initial concept of WAF was created between series producer Sinji Hashimoto Hashimoto. Square Hashimoto. Okay, I, I was close. I mean, <laughs> I almost didn't not, give you this paragraph because of the Japanese name, and I was like, surely he can he can get Hashimoto. I, I was trying. <laughs> um, and Square Enix staff member Hiriko Chiba. Chiba's previous work on the series has been as a scenario writer and event planner for several titles, including Dirge of Cerberus, Type Zero. I put in parentheses uh, here. Oh no. Because oh, no. those are those two, two two games are not celebrated for their story typically. I don't think. Nope. <laughs> As we know why. Yeah. Uh, titles noted for their dark tone in stories. Hashi Miyamoto and Chiba noticed that the series' age demographic had shifted to adolescents and adults, with a few young people coming into the series. Moth was intended to lower the threshold for players so more people could enjoy the series. The original concepts of that form part of WAF were created for a simulation game. When that project ran into difficulties, it was scrapped and its aesthetics elements reused in the smartphone title Pictological Logica. Pictologica Final Fantasy. Did that ever come to the States? I don't think so. Um, I was like, I don't remember seeing that. I think I know Bill had it downloaded at one point because, you know, he used to do those mobile Final Fantasy reviews. And it kind of looked interesting to me. I'm kind of sad I never got to play it. But alas, you could definitely tell that this the target audience was a little younger for this game, though. Um, No, really? Just by the dialogue alone and Shudder Tama. (laughs) The gameplay systems deliberately recalled mainline entries prior to Final Fantasy X. The battle system was inspired by the active time battle variants used in the Super Famicom era of the series. Hashimoto was the originator of the monster collection mechanic. The capturing mechanic was included as a parallel to the company's Dragon Quest Monsters subseries. Did that really need a, a parallel? Like, did Final nope. Fantasy have to do that too, for real? <laughs> um, the monster stacking design was decided upon during discussions between Chiba and artist Yasuhisa Izumisawa during early development. Izumisawa had created an illustration showing a warrior, a black mage, a white mage, and a moogle stacked on top of a Magitek armor as a joke. And Chiba thought that this would actually be a nice addition to the combat system. I'm glad our entire battle systems are being based on like jokes these days. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> the number of monsters included in the game had to be restricted due to hardware limitations on the Vita, which I thought was interesting. So I wonder how much mm. many more they would have included if not for the Vita. Damn Vita. <laughs> so once the gameplay systems had been decided upon, the team needed to consider what hardware could successfully portray it. Um, the game's original platforms, the PS4 and Vita, were decided upon by Chiba as he wanted the power of the former and the portability of the latter. This also enabled use of two platforms across a feature, allowing players to take the game between the two platforms. That's a kind of a nice feature. I mean, you know, sounds like the Switch, Switch would have been perfect if it had existed back then. Yeah, exactly. Despite the varying power of the hardware, the team worked uh, to ensure there was minimal content differences between the two versions. The game used the Orchi 3 development uh, engine, 
which was chosen to help speed development due to its developer-friendly structure. Um, I don't know anything about this. I, say, I can't say I've ever heard about that before writing nope. this up. Usually they talk about the crystal dynamic stuff, but yeah. yeah. Hey, anything's better than using crystal dynamics or crystal tools or whatever, right? <laughs> um, yep. The scenario was written by Chiba, whose main focus was to create a story that would appeal to young players with comic dialogue while keeping true to the characters drawn from each Final Fantasy title. Hey, maybe they should have had somebody who was actually like a comedy writer or something. Right? Yeah. Because <laughs> um, the dialogue is awful. <laughs> it's like it's, it's like they asked Bill to write this thing. Yeah. Yeah, bird. The story was uh, written to be similar to early FF titles, with the volume meant to be equivalent to 6, 7, and 8. I would say it's similar in length to those games, but the, the volume of the story is not. Nope. Or at least the quality is not up there. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start stop throwing shade for now anyway. Its main focus was creating a lighthearted experience while still retaining darker narrative elements associated with the series. In addition to more traditional character inclusions, such as Cloud, Squall, and Lightning, less prominent characters such as Echo and Shelk were included. This is because characters were chosen due to situations in the plot rather than either including every character or choosing only the most popular ones. A cited example was a scene which took place at a port involving pirates, which was a perfect fit for Ferris from FF5. Which I actually thought this was really interesting because, like, I thought it was, it was cool in the first place how we got some more obscure characters in in the, this game, like Shelk uh, and Sherlota from Crystal Chronicles. But um, I think it's really interesting that they were like, "Well, we this makes sense for this character," rather than just building around which characters they wanted. Um, yeah. So I, I actually liked that. Chiba was responsible for all the characters introduced into the title and turned down multiple characters suggested by staff as they did not fit into the story. The world title held multiple meanings. It was once an FF world in its own right and a world where multiple FF titles merged. Okay, I see that. So the aesthetics were intended to, to contrast directly with the increasingly realistic graphics of the main series, Exemplified by the graphics and character designs in Final Fantasy XIII. I don't really agree with that, but okay. It's saying they wanted to do like, uh, like FF thirteen was realistic, so they wanted to contrast with that. Gotcha. Okay, so the character the characters were redesigned in a super deformed chibi style to better reinforce the series' cute aspect of it. To create these designs, Chiba and Hashimoto brought in Izumi Az uh, Izumi Sawa. You say? Izumi Sawa. Um, who had worked on the Crystal Chronicles subseries and enjoyed creating cute character designs. Because characters and monster designs came from different artists, Izumi-sama also in charge of unifying all the designs. The giant characters were designed by veteran FF artist um, Tetsuo Nomura. Nomura was brought in so his designs would, would draw the attention of established series fans. Nomura was also in charge of character modeling and making sure all characters uh, acted consistently with their personalities. The anime sequences were produced by studio creators in PAC, and the ending credit movie was created by Visual Works Square Enix in-house CGI studio. So brought in the big gun to try to make this work. Actually, um, I looked up creators in PAC to see what else they had done. They have done like about a dozen animes, um, but I didn't recognize any of them. So um, I actually liked the look of the giant characters. Like I really liked that art style. I kind of wish like, the chibi thing just wasn't a thing and like the entire game was in that style. 
Yeah. I mean, there wasn't enough belt buckles, but that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have them belt buckles. Yes. The game's soundtrack was primarily composed and arranged by Masashi Hemwazu. Oh, man. I meant to look up how to pronounce that before we came in here. (laughs) With other composers supplementing. Hemwazu was assisted by Toza's sound team. Chiba wanted a composer who was synonymous with the Final Fantasy series. And although he initially considered Nobuo Uematsu, he settled on Hemwazu due to an earlier positive working relationship between them. Hemwazu created an estimated 10% of the songs before their setting was decided including the Nine Wood Hills theme, which is, I really like that song. Um, Jiba requested 12 unique battle themes from Hemwazu. Due to space limitations, Hemwazu kept them fairly short, which I also thought that was interesting. There is a lot of music in this game, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Not a lot of the same areas of the same music, so that's good. Um, as for the vocal themes, um, Hemwazu, how do you say that? Hemwazu? Hemwazu. Hemwazu originally assumed the songs would be either English for all regions or dubbed in English for the Western release. But due to Western fans liking Japanese music, the songs were kept unchanged between regions. Voicing the Final Fantasy characters proved to be challenging as they wanted to keep consistent with established voice canon, but also to create voices for FF characters that had never been voiced before. I do like that. I do like that they kept the ones that we've been accustomed to um, the same, except for Cloud. They changed him up. Wait, is it not Steve Burton? No, it's still? it's no, it's Steve Burton at the time, Burton. but now they changed it now. Right, right. So, um, yeah, I, I found it funny that they went to such pains to keep the same voice actors, and as we know, the entire FF Seven ensemble was replaced, like you just said. Um, the and then I also like how they were like, "Oh, America! Well, there are a bunch of weebs over there. You don't have to change the songs." <laughs> yeah, I would have liked English versions personally because yeah. I like to know what the song is the song is saying, but that's just me. And this leads me into Scott's voice actor corner. As you guys know, I like to see what some of the main characters, their voice actors, what else they've voiced or done. Um, so Lon was voiced by Josh Keaton, and he is quite a prolific voice actor. He uh, and I think it shows because I, I really think Lon's voice acting, despite how cringy his dialogue often is, I think he. Knocked it out of the park. Um, But he is known for voicing young Hercules in both the actual original Disney movie and Kingdom Hearts. Um, Spider-Man in the spectacular Spider-Man TV show, as well as many Spider-Man games. Um, Harry Osborn in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie games. And Ocelot in Metal Gear Solid 3. Ryu Hayabusa in Ninja Gaiden 2 and Ninja Gaiden Sigma 2. Larry in Leisure Suit Larry, box office bust. Jack in Jack and Daxter, The Lost Frontier, and PlayStation All-Stars. Spyro the Dragon in the Skylanders games. Robin in Batman Arkham Origins. Adult Talcott in Final Fantasy XV. Uh, Sun King Avad in Horizon Zero Dawn. Iron Man in Iron Man VR. Destroy Man in No More Heroes 3. And then he also played the character Bryce in The Secret World of Alex Mack and Tim and General Hospital. So Hmm. he's gotten around. (laughs) Um, Rain was voiced by Amanda Layton, and she had much less credits to her names, which uh, I think Rain still did a good job. Like she still, her voice acting is good. Just uh, Lawrence was a clear bit better. Anyway, she played Blossom in the 2016 Powerpuff Girls reboot. Um, Teenage Sophie in the show This Is Us and 
Poppy in a couple of the Trolls TV series. Oh, see, we're coming, we're coming full circle here. <laughs> yes, a lot of the Trolls. Um, Nancy Sullivan, the voice of Serifi, was a cast regular on The Amanda Show on Nickelodeon and also appeared as the character Audrey Parker Nichols in the Drake and Josh series. I need to figure this out for a second. I need to figure who this Sarah Nancy Sullivan is. Oh, I, I meant to Google that too, because I was a avid Amanda show fan back in the day. Well, I was like, Drake, I was also a Drake and Josh fan. Oh, okay. Um, Hold on. Nancy Sullivan. Really? That's who that is. Let me Google it. See if I, it jogs any memories. I also tried to look up to see um, if Thomas voice actress had done anything notable and I didn't recognize any of their credits. So sorry. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find pictures. Okay. Oh yeah. I, I remember her. She was like the mom and all the skits basically. Yeah. Okay. Let's just double check this. I'm just <laughs> double checking. That. I like how this is the thing that Rich latches onto. Uh, all right. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. So that's my voice actor corner for this time. You're Love up. it. All right. So the game was first revealed to the public at E3 2015. In addition to drawing in new fans, Square's, Square wanted to its release to coincide with the series' 30th anniversary. Yay, this is their 30th anniversary thing. <laughs> um, a port to, of the game came to Steam in 2017. The port featured limited graphic options and was locked at 30 frames per second, but came with several cheats along, including free AP, max money, and items. This was a thing? Huh. Yeah, I was like, why didn't I play that version? <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, in disabling random encounters, there was also DLC to add champions Sephiroth and Balthier to the game, as well as a limited time Sora champion from Kingdom Hearts. I remember hearing that, and I missed that opportunity, so that's fine. I had it, and it carried over all these years later. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, I didn't include much information about this because it's a totally different game, but they did do a mobile spinoff title based around World of Final Fantasy. And that was released only in Japan in December 2017. And the name of that was uh, World of Final Fantasy Melly Mello, which I think translates to like hodgepodge or something like that. Um, okay. A mobile title was apparently planned from the beginning, but the team decided to finish production on the main game first and then re reuse those assets to save on the their budget, which was oh. interesting. It's shut down yeah. now, though, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I, I don't doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> So later, an expanded version of the game titled World of Final Fantasy Maximo was released in 2018 for the Switch, Xbox One, PS4, and Windows. Maximo was made available as both a paid DLC and a standalone release. It includes new narrative elements, gameplay additions, new boss fights, search options for treasure chase, chess, mirage capture adjustments, short narratives, including new champions, um, a new ending, and most of the original DLC. Faron... Um, I always forget. Uh, Ishtola? Ishtola. Ishtola. Noctis, Sissel, Sarah from Final Fantasy Thirteen, and Zach. Hildebrand from um, fourteen was con uh, considered. Um, oh, and a fishing minigame. You son of a the bitch. The one thing it needed. <laughs> it was missing. <laughs> a new gameplay mechanic called Champion uh, Mirror Jewels was also added to the Transform Lawn and Rain into FF characters in battle. I never really dealt with that. I never um, even tried it. Nope. The secret ending was included to tease a possible sequel. Sequel, Chiba already had the scenario for sequel written out, ready to produce if there was enough demand. I wow! Think this yeah, we'll so see. they already have a sequel like written, basically, I guess, or at least c conceptualized. So I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if we got a sequel one day. 
I'd be surprised. Yeah. So World of Final Fantasy received generally favorable reviews, according to Metacritic, with the current average score between all releases sitting at a 77. It was criticized for its length and, quote, overstaying its welcome, with many saying the combat system and not even the FF nostalgia could support the game all the way through, which I totally agree with. (laughs) Yeah. The game sold over 100,000 units in its first week. By 2018, the original version of the game had sold 900,000 copies worldwide, which Chiba considered a success. Makes me wonder if it's crossed that million mark yet. I would think so. I'm sure it has. Yeah. Um, I mean, nowhere near the sales of like a mainline console uh, Final Fantasy, but I don't know how much they spent on this, but it seems like that's decent. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of interesting shit there. Um, But I guess we are ready to move on into the story, don't you think? Let's do it. Okay, where do we start here? <laughs> I'm getting strong deja vu here, Rich. Yes. Um, so we're, we're not sure we're going to make it all the way through the story in this episode. We're going to see where it goes. Um, but I guess the best place to start is the beginning, right? So we start off in the prologue and we're introduced to this kid, Lon. He's like a... Does it ever say how old they are? No, but... Young, like fourteen ish, yeah, fifteen maybe. I, I doubt they're that old. Um, so he wakes up in his flat in this town called Ninewood Hills, and he has this strange, like squirrelish creature riding on his head, unbeknownst to him. Like I don't know how he doesn't notice it, but I guess Tama just has perfect balance up there. Um, no wait. So he goes to work at his cafe. And he finds that no one else has made it to work yet. And he hasn't seen like one customer or the, or one person the entire time he's been, you know, like going to work except for this one customer who comes in and, you know, she asks for coffee. There's a cute scene where he brings her sugar and she puts in like 20 spoons of sugar or what else says line looks on in horror. <laughs> um, so then his sister, his twin sister rain arrives and she has realized that Ninewood Hills is completely empty, which Lon has not even like realized at all. And it's not super apparent yet, but we're going to learn here that Lon is a dumbass, basically. <laughs> he is dumb. Uh, like, not even being mean, he's very stupid. Like, that's his, his main character trait. <laughs> um, despite all that, I still like him somehow. But... um. So then Rain puts out, you know, the creature on his head and then we meet Tama and then the customer introduces herself as in a crow, which um, I looked into this rich. Apparently that's uh, an anagram for her real name, which is Roxanne. (laughs) Um, So I just I have I can't 
I, I can't don't know. Do that with that. <laughs> I don't know where that info comes from, but yeah. So Inacro tells them that the two are tells the two of them that they are from an alternate world called Grimoire, where they used to be like quote unquote mirage keepers, and that they apparently had the power to rule the world. And unfortunately, the two of them, of course, have amnesia. They have no memory of this. And encouraged by Inacro, they decide to go to Grimoire and begin capturing mirages to hopefully reawaken their memories. Now, I will say, the game starts off kind of promising. Like, it gives you an interesting premise, some interesting characters. Uh, it's just like, nothing important happens forever after this. <laughs> and, and you never see Anna Crow ever again. Well, she doesn't leave quite yet, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. So chapter one begins. Yeah, so let's do this awesome story that we're going to dive into. So this one is called Gateway to Adventure. Land of the Lilikin and Well Springs Woods. So a grassy road is basically you go into this area. Think of trees and grasslands. Um, eventually, um, this is where you learn to do things. You learn about the basis of combat, gameplay, walking around, talking to things. Uh, Tama talks to you in its weird, stupid voice. Eventually, they reach a muckrift, a dark void, where the enemies are more powerful. Between, um, Lon, I'm pretty sure Lon does this. He's, his stupid bravado kicks in, and he tries to go attack it. The twins get killed. Does it and turn out to be Yeah, it turns out to be that. But Tama is able to revive them, and they wake up back in Ninewood Hills. So this is both an important gameplay mechanic and later a story, an important story thing. So apparently if yes. they die, Tama can revive them. As long as it's not in one of these weird like dimension gates, I forget what they're called, which usually pop up around boss battles. So <laughs> yeah, it's basically a segment of deals like okay, you can't come back from this, so you got to keep going. Right. So they're introduced to Seraphie and Chocolate. Is that how you say it? Chocolate? Chocolate. They never do say that her real name is Chocolina in this, do they? I, no, I kept waiting for it. Like, why is her name different? <laughs> yeah, it's Chocolina. Okay. Yeah. Anacrow tells them she's a god and leaves. That's yeah, it. so she's like, or they say, how do you know all this? Or like, how can you, something like that. And she's like, oh, because I'm god. And then she just leaves. Yeah, <laughs> that's, like, oh, okay. Yeah, which was nobody has questions. Yeah, it would have been a really cool story point to explore this further. Anacrow literally does not show up again until like the secret ending. Um. Which is just crazy because I actually thought that she was an interesting character or like I wanted to know more about that mystery, you know? Yeah, the mystery of her being here for like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, where were you at? Yeah. So you re you return back to Well um, Wellspring Wood and make it to the exit and you get a neat anime intro. You get like an anime was pretty nice. Yeah, I liked it too. I wasn't expecting that. I was like, ooh, anime. <laughs> yeah, those are good times. Um. Yeah, so the – I guess – I will say at the beginning of this game, I was excited. I was like, yeah, this is going good. I'm liking where things, the setup here. Um, it's fun. And, and look, I think this is a, a decent game at worst, decent to good. It's just like, it frustrates me because there's, I feel like it w it was close to being a great game. If they had just made some major like structural story changes. Yeah. Anyway, chapter two foretold by prophecy. So you get introduced to the train and a character called the Cactuar Conductor, which is just the train conductor is a Cactuar and he's like excitable, as, as you might think a Cactuar would be. And yes. 
you fight some goblins from the Bahamutian army, which is going to be the main like evil empire force in this game. And then you get to explore the town of Cornelia, which is awesome because, um, you know, that was like the main first town in Final Fantasy one. And so the music here is also a remix of that. It's like nostalgia feels. So I was, I was digging it still at this part. Um, they eventually assume their giant forms in front of some townspeople, and they're shot. And that's when they meet Princess Sarah, the princess of Cornelia. And she tells them that they are the, quote, giants of the hills from prophecy. And it's foretold that they're either going to bring salvation or ruin to Grimoire. So I guess, jumping ahead a little bit, I guess that's the Crimson versus Azure prophecy, huh? Which I never, I, so. I didn't really understand until almost the end of the game. Um, so they agree to help Sarah with the Bahamutian army, but they decide they first need to go to this place called the Nether Nebula to capture more mirages. So we're about to head to our first real dungeon. The story makes no sense. Anyways, <laughs> chapter three, old acquaintances. So you're still in the Cornelia region in ne- uh, Nether Nebula. So they make their way to the Nether Nebula, which is basically an extended cave dungeon. Okay. Um, they learn about thresholds, fields where powerful mirages take are protected. This is kind of where, you know, Tama can't revive you. So that's what they're, what it's called. They meet three things. Very well-known characters of Final Fantasy lore. Mm-hmm. Ifrit, Shiva, and Rahuma, who they are un- unknowingly met before and agree to test their strength. So you have to pick one of them, which I don't remember has anything to do with anything. Um, the mirage that they give you afterwards is based on which one you fought. I don't understand. <laughs> which one did you fight? I fought Ifrit. Okay. I did Ramu. Um, did you have any problems with this, this boss fight? I nope. think I died once. I was overleveled. Oh, already, huh? <laughs> yep. So you pick one to fight, and then um, Lon and Rain are not powerful enough to yet actually control them, so they take off. All right. So that's, what that's basically it. What did you think about this game, the summons having personalities, like t- talking and shit? I thought that was weird, but I mean, it was not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a little dynamic. So, okay. And instead of you actually controlling them in the, in the other games, like any Final Fantasy, they're just there. This one here, they actually have to, they talk. Yeah. Although so it's kind of a. Ifrit and Shiva are played for laughs usually. So, okay. Chapter four and chapter four, Legendary Warriors. So they return to Cornelia. And it gets attacked by the Bahamutian army. So Lion Rain and the Cornelian commander, they set off to stop them. And the Cornelian commander being like this mysterious, powerful soldier. So they go to the Watch Plains, which is like this big open field with like some towers you can climb and shit as like the battle goes on. And eventually when Princess Sarah is attacked by some goblins, the commander reveals himself as the legendary warrior of light, the uh, dun, dun, dun. the main character of Final Fantasy One, and he saves Sarah. So then you have a boss fight with a giant goblin and a Bahamutian commander, and you can also let's see if you go back to Ninewood Hills, you can also unlock the Cornelia, the Colosseum at this point, which is ran by a Tomberry. Kind of his voice kind of reminded me of Orin a little bit, even though I guess that's not really close. Um, but that's like a side thing in the story. So you go back to Cornelia and she asked that Lon and Rain be their emissaries to go back to the nearby nation of Seronia to request an alliance against the Bahamutian army while the warrior of light stays behind to protect Cornelia. 
Is this the scene? The hang on. I think is this the scene where the uh, this happens? Hang on. Uh, here we go. Well, at least I'm dumber than you. I think he says that to Tama at this point. Yes. <laughs> and they yes. Yeah, they kind of fight in the background while Rain actually does exposition. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, I guess this is also the where the champion gimmick is re- revealed. Um, with like the different Final Fantasy heroes being chosen champions or whatever. I think so. Yep. And that's actually where we ended our first RPG Gloves segment. So, what, like five to go? <laughs> oh, man. So many. We got this. We so, do. chapter five, the champion who saved Grimoire. This is where you get introduced to the, t- the tea room mechanic. You meet this girl who forgot her name. And using her, you can, like, do this mechanic called interventions, where you can... Like, it'll show you a cutscene of, like, a Final Fantasy character in trouble, usually comedic. And then Lon and Rain are able to, like, fight the same battle they are in, like, an alternate dimension to help them. Um, so I actually really, really liked the interventions, even though there were kind of a lot of, a lot of them. <laughs> I didn't play them. Also, the, uh, well, you had to play some of them for the story. Well, at the That's end, I had yeah. to. Um, the... You missed out on there are some funny things in there, especially you know, actually getting more FF character fan service. But anyway, the girl who forgot her name, she doesn't know who she is, where she is, why she is. It barely gets explained later, but we'll get there. Um, then you go to Pyroglow Forest, which is that forest that kind of was like kind of Makalania Woodsish from Ten. Yeah. At the end here, you meet another Final Fantasy character, Yuna. And she is pissed at Lon and Rain because she thinks they're going to bring ruin to Grimoire. And so you actually fight her, which I wasn't expecting. Um, what, Do you remember the exact reason she didn't trust Lon and Rain? I think she thought they were from the Bahamutian army. No. Okay. So afterwards, you know, they gain her trust and she reveals the legend surrounding Lon and Rain's parents. And apparently their mom's name was Lady Luce. And she summoned, is it Lady Luce or just Lady Luce? Now that I say that loud. Luce? Okay. She summoned three heralds of the gods and sealed a gate that stopped Brandalus, the king of the Federation, also known as the Demon Dyad. Well, (laughs) knowing that, we can say, oh, Lon and Rain really did fuck things up later. Idiots. Yeah, because if I remember correctly, that never actually did happen. Yeah. But yeah, so... um, Yunus decides to stay behind. There's a really nice version of uh, the sending a dream into the stars, whatever, from Final Fantasy X here. Yeah, I like this part. I'm, I was still digging the game at this point. You were starting to lose hope, though, a little bit, I can tell. A little bit, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, this is where it's it's getting sort of darker. Off. <laughs> yeah. So, Chapter 6, Solace from the Ice. So, this is where you meet uh, Charlotta and Rifi, Rifia. At uh, Charlotte's uh, Solace. So basically, all you're doing is taking Rifia to um, meet her, uncle. I believe it's her uncle. Yeah. In the nearby town of uh, Seronia. So you, you know, go to the Ice Ridge, a couple of pla- um, puzzles, you're sliding along, you, you know, find a boss battle of Grand Finier plus four white Nakas. Um, that's pretty much it. You just go through here. Yeah, Some of these chapters. Yeah, some of these chapters, in, in case you guys don't realize, are are quick 10-minute deals. Yeah, so, there are some short ones, and then some of them are literally just dungeons. Yeah. Um, the 
Charlotta is the only character I wasn't familiar with. I know she's from one of the Crystal Chronicles spinoffs, yes. but um, I kind of liked her. I thought she had an interesting personality. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. And it was cool to getting more Refia, I guess, you know, older character. Isn't she from um, uh, Tactics? No, she's from uh, she's one of the main characters of the, the three remake. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. So next chapter, chapter seven, the Thane and the Knave. And real quick, Frost in the chat says it's Lady Luce. So, okay. Thanks for that correction. Live correction. Thank, Thank um, you. So you get to Seronia. You can do side quests here if you want. Um, basically, the, the idea is to gather intel from the people in town and learn how the Federation seized it. Because it was supposed to be like they were hoping to ally with uh, Seronia to against the Baja Mission Army. But the Baja Mission Army is already has already taken it over. And you also find out about this system that the Federation has where like they promise people if you work hard and serve the Empire well, you can event- actually like ascend like social status kind of deal, which uh, is kind of scary if you think about China's yeah. social credit system. It's, it feels like a Black Mirror episode. That's exactly what I was thinking earlier. Yeah. I saw that. I'm like, wait a minute. This sounds familiar. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, that's uh, that's China. Yeah. Um, but eventually you get to like retire and live in the castle if you work yourself high enough. And this is actually going to be an important plot point much, much, much later. By the time point. by the time it came up, I'd, I had to think about what it was even talking about because I'd forgotten about it. <laughs> um, but anyway, you get into the castle and you find out that Refia's uncle, Thane Taka, has been replaced by an evil Federation guard. It's still weird that they never named this character. But anyway, so... Federation wants Refia for her blood or something. And I put a question mark here because I don't remember what was special about her. Nothing. Because <laughs> she wasn't a summoner. Um, but anyway, so at this point, the knight with the golden mask appears and he is um, one of the villains of this game. We later learn that his name is Seguaritis, but for some reason we have to call on the knight with the golden mask for 90% of the game. Um, and then, but Charlotta shows up, she turns into a cat and she bails them out. Have we gotten our big scene introducing all the villains yet? No. Feels like we should have had it yet by now. No. Okay. No, well, yes, we did. The plume, it was like a brief little deal where you see Brandalis, uh, the main villain, and or no, you don't even see them. They just walk out of a gate. They're all the big um, plume knight, and then this guy, the golden mask, and that's really it. That's all you see. There's also the masked woman who later turns out to be Alan. Spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah. Kid- I, I have to say, like the story in this game is I don't think they really fully flesh things out. They're just kind of like, this is going to work right here. And then eight chapters down the road going, were we supposed to talk about that? Yeah. Oh, or yeah. like, it's so long. You like, yeah, I forgot. Plus, yeah, in this stuff. villain introduction scene, it um, they're, they're just basically saying evil, villainous, enigmatic things, which is normal. But like, I had no idea what they were talking about at all. Yeah, there was no care for it. <laughs> I know you don't want to so, blow your load too early, but damn. Yeah, they didn't even blow a load at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, so once you get past that, uh, Serlata shows up, bails them out in the last chapter. So this next chapter is called Buccaneer Blues. So after you've escaped, you get to the Seronia docks. You have a cannon puzzle. Ugh. They decide to steal a pirate ship from the harbor as there's no way to cross the low seas otherwise. So... They try to get a boat. However, Ferris and her gang of pirate Mughals intervene. They stop them. Um, Ferris beats the shit out of everybody. Yeah. you. Um, it's a one of those story battles you have to lose. 
yeah, you have no chance. Uh, but the Federation guard uh, from before shows up, and Ferris takes him out, and then hears Lon and Rain um, out from the talking, like, what's going on? And then with the advice of my one of my favorite teachers of any Final Fantasy game, Quistus. It's my girl. Oh, yeah. Oh, Quistus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ferris decides to help. Um, and that's it. That's segment three. I actually thought it was three. funny how uh, I think when you run into Quistus again later in the game, um, I think Lon is almost like, aren't you the one? Like they almost forgot who she was. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't. <sighs> that, that's what, another one of my complaints. They sort of fix it a little later. Um, but the Final Fantasy characters often are just there as like, OK, we need a character to do this or serve this plot function. Throw whoever in there and that will be their purpose. And then you'll never see them again. Uh, yeah. But like I said, again, many of the Final Fantasy characters come back later and that problem gets sort of fixed. But it's like the last couple chapters, literally. Barely. Yeah. So um, I also liked the design of Sildra here, I will say. Yeah, that was a pretty good design for the dragon. So in case you don't realize, remember that is, that's the pet of Ferris. Yep. So. And that was the end of our right. second RPG club. Yay. On to segment three. Chapter nine. The Low Seas. I'm trying to do dramatic readings for these because that's about as best I can do for the emotion <laughs> I have for this game. Um, so Quistus gives you a boat, which if you played the game along with us, you realize resembles the assault boat from Final Fantasy VIII. That's I thought that was a cool she, like, callback. Yeah, that's the boat where she really blew the shit out of some robot spider. Yes. Uh, they go over the waterfall in an anime cutscene. It was really nice. I actually, okay. I was excited here because I didn't, I thought the anime was was only going to be like the opening and the ending. Yeah. I have to say, like, I'm not a big fan of anime. I like, there's some things I do like about it. The art style is pretty good. So I would watch a lot anime. Yeah. It's okay. I feel like they could have done this whole, this game in an anime. (laughs) That's a good point. That's a good point. That makes me think of the Final Fantasy IX anime that we talked about last week being aimed at eight to 13 year olds. This would have been perfect. Yeah. Leave nine alone. <laughs> Do this one. Right. So they wake up um, after the waterfall and they, they land safely in the water. They wake up and save a mini animo, uh, mini mantis, mini, mini mantois uh, from the sea snakes, gaining the favor of adamantois, which as everybody knows is the giant turtle. His voice did not fit him. I didn't think. <laughs> no, it sounded like he was slow. Like I'm I get an old man. Do you want a yeah. passage across the ocean? Like that kind of voice almost. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, hop on my back. I'm an old man. <laughs> yeah. So he ferries them across the low seas where you meet kind of an annoying character, Riku. I don't like her. I don't. I like her. In, I, she's my least favorite of the main 10 cast for sure. But, I, you know, I've replayed Final Fantasy X a bunch of times. And I still, I kind of like her now from 10-1. In 10-2, she's annoying as shit. So. <laughs> They're all annoying. Yeah. Um, okay, so who's looking for treasure? That's of course. She, that's all she cares about is her treasure. That's literally so, all she does. She leaves after this. And if you wanted uh, to see some more Riku, you got to do the intervention quests. Yep. So you have to dodge the mega um, shark walls until you reach safety. I think I failed this a bunch of times, and eventually I just did it. I was, Or you could pass it. Um, yeah, yeah. I didn't even get into an encounter with them once, but I do remember some of the people in the Discord saying that they had a really hard time getting past there. Yeah. 
I think I did it a couple times, but it wasn't too bad. So once you get that, you go to the Rainbow Shore and Riku leaves. Thank freaking God. <laughs> Her presence is brief. Yeah, very brief. Chapter 10. Frost says so Two. many story battles. Yeah, there are a lot of story battles in this game. Like, auto-lose. Yes, a lot of... Ugh. All right, so, chapter 10. To warm a welcome. It's basically another that's dungeon chapter. Yep, that's it. So you have to explore the dragon, uh, dragon scars. The red dragon blockade, blockade. Cerberus is there. You can get Cerberus. I think I used Cerberus like once or twice. I He's think. the first Mega Mirage that you get. Yeah. So um, once you do that, you navigate the area. The boss is the Mega Red Dragon. Tifa saves you by punching in the face. Um, Must be specified. It's Nibelheim tour guide, cow, cowgirl Tifa. Yeah, it's not the actual Tifa that we all know. It's the young version. So I wish they'd done the other version um, instead. Um, I don't know why they chose Nibelheim version. So well, if you think back, they chose the characters uh, in service of their role in the story. So like, I guess they needed like a mountain guide character or like a character to guide them in this area. So if you think about it, guide Tifa makes sense in retrospect. I would feel a lot better if they came out and said, we just had a, a uh, wheel that we spun when we decided <laughs> to put a character in and we just spun it. What, I'd have been I fine mean, with that. What's really happening is uh, we had some, some, we needed the horny police at Square Enix because, you know, they wanted cowgirl Tifa. Tifa. I guess. But they made it chibi, and I didn't like that. If yeah. they're going to have the horny cowgirl stuff out there, make it older. You weren't attracted to the chibi, Tifa? No, I was not. I'm not. <laughs> nope. Sorry if you are attracted to the chibi stuff. That's that's great. It's for you. It's not for me. I'm sure that's okay. Um, I'm sure it is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that ends with that after uh, Tifa saves you and punches a dragon in the face. Yes. Okay, chapter 11, Crimson and Azure. So you reach Nibelheim, which looks more like Midgar to me. It kind of looks like Midgar and Nibelheim had a baby. But yep. I guess if I had to say it looks more like one than the other, I would say Midgar. And apparently uh, Nibelheim has not yet joined Bahamut, and it's ran by the Shinra Company, which I don't think ever becomes important, like Shinra. Like, I know you go to the Mako Reactor, but other than that... I mean, they're an evil company. Yeah. Same thing. So... um Oh, I meant to say, there's also a town you could visit here, Oshley. It's called, I think it's called Agarthir or something like that. But you don't yes. have to go there until way later in the game. When it gets taken over, spoiler alert. So, Tifa introduces you to Rydia and her Mist Dragon from Final Fantasy IV. And you learn about the two prophecies. And I don't remember the details of it, but basically, one of them predicts you know, ruin. The other one pr predicts that the giants will save them. And I didn't understand the difference between the the two prophecies because I kept getting them mixed up in my head and it would ended up being like a, it, they kept talking about how important it was. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it's chap it's chapter 11. This should have been talked about earlier. Yeah. Or halfway through the game. Or at least hammered home more. Yes. Um, also, I didn't care for Rydia in this version. I thought she acted more like little girl Rydia than adult Rydia. But uh, alas, I say that because she's like my second favorite character from four. Um, so yeah. The dungeon you go to in this chapter is Valley 7, which is like a volcano area. It's called Valley 7 because all the valleys in this area are named, are numbered rather than named, I guess. Um, you, Rydia comes along, but she's afraid of fire. So after you save her from some, from fire, she leaves. Um, I think you fight, what is it, like a, a king bomb as the, the boss here? I think so, yeah. Yeah. 
And then after that, Leviathan appears out of nowhere and you get washed away. But you which do makes get, no sense. Yes. What is Leviathan doing here? But you do get one of the four keys, which we probably should have mentioned, that they needed four keys to fulfill the prophecy or whatever. So Yeah, Quistus talks about getting four keys to unseal the gate, to save the world, which has no importance. Yeah. So. But that was basically it for 7-3. Not a lot happened. Yes, I see a theme. <laughs> <laughs> so, segment four. Chapter 12, Ribble, Jiggle, Panic. Excellent chapter name. Yes, very very much so. Lon and Rain wake up in the swamp and meet Snow, who is hunting monsters. Okay. Uses a Dolan, uh, Shavexon, to create ice bridges. You fight a giant golden flan and Snow leaves. The only reason why you're fighting this flan is because it's saving you have to beat it down to a little guy so it doesn't ruin the town and that's the only reason why snow is there again the wheel they spun <laughs> and they said let's put snow in here it makes sense if you think about 13 too cuz like that was what snow was doing in that game was trying to kill a giant flan um but the i remember when snow first showed up you know Corey's a huge 13 fan um, he, he said, As like, you should be. this is the character they picked from 13. Of course, we know Lightning makes it into a little later. But, uh, okay, I like Snow. I'll see. I liked him. I don't, I don't like hate him, but he's definitely my least favorite main character in 13. Oh, I loved him. I loved him. I guess I he can see that. He did it for love. He did it for love. I'm and a hero, babe. Heroes don't need plans. <laughs> and then, then the sister in law punches him in the face. That's my favorite scene. Yes. <laughs> she's like I, i'm gonna do this i'm gonna i'm gonna be the hero and lightning says you're a jackass i'm gonna punch you in the face this twice. is all your fault that happens twice early on <laughs> yeah so time. chapter 13 castle in the desert and so you come upon a caravan and there is a salesperson here who is the single most annoying character in any video game of all time um luckily he's relegated to side quests so you don't have to deal with him but i would like to i would like to just to have a nice conversation with whoever wrote his dialogue um, uh, it's so bad I can't even repeat it here but he says shit like do you want to shoppy woppy and get to my little potiony wotions and Italy fiddly and I'm like oh my god why anyway uh, so the caravan is just like this miniature town you get some sunscreen here from one of the merchants but the merchant is suspicious You and you need the sunscreen to progress so they pass through the phantom sands it's a canyon dungeon which is kind of interesting because there's different exits on each screen and you have to take the correct one, which is always the one that has a cactuar statue by it, which I didn't even realize while I was playing because I was following a guide. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember this section. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember this chapter at all. Really? That's funny. So you get to the end and you get attacked by some sandworms. So you defeat them, but then a bunch more sandworms show up. And okay. at this point, lightning shows up and saves them, which was exciting. You know, lightning. Cool. Uh, I'm, Yay. I'm a fan. Um, and she's in her lightning returns outfit in this version, which I thought I hated it. Really? I like, I think that's her coolest outfit. Yeah. It's sadly, it's cool and everything, but I'd rather have her in her other outfit. The one where she's a soldier in the first game. That's actually a really good point. I thought about this the other day, you know, that ending, the ending, like karaoke dance thing. Um, yeah. And that lightning's in her 13, one outfit. See, that's weird. Keep it consistent. Yeah. I think that goes towards frost. I think it was frost's theory that they made that ending video as a pitch 
before they even started production on the game. <laughs> they probably did. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, but um, so they camp out, and Lightning tells them what she knows about the prophecy, and that some pieces of the prophecy are missing, and that's why no nobody knows like the whole truth of the prophecies. So then a woman uh, comes over and gives offers them a drink, and she gives them some more info about the prophecy. But it was a trap because in the morning the three wake up having been poisoned. That's, that's why so, you don't take drinks from strangers. Yeah, right. You, you can't do that. That's how you get roofied. I figured you can't do that. that. That's what was going to happen as soon as they, they got offered drinks. I didn't know that. I didn't. So, I didn't suspect it. Yeah. In the morning, you know, having been poisoned, they can't move. Lon and Rain are unable to use their uh, mirage powers. The plumed knight, which I think looks like the Ukes from Crystal Chronicles, but anyway, shows up along with Edgar for Final Fantasy VI. So the bah- the Bahamutian army, they yank up a castle from under the sand. So this is uh, Figaro Castle. Another, I thought that was a cool callback. Um, Edgar says that he was promised he would get to deal with Lon and Rain, and so they get captured. And yeah, bad ending to that little section. Chapter 14. Lost powers. So you wake up. We're making good learn. progress, I think. I know. Yeah, it's because well, these you know story chapters are so freaking short. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you wake up and you learn where you are from a mysterious where you are from mysterious prisoner. In case you guys don't realize, we are in a prison that's in Final Fantasy VIII. So, um, I think that's right. Correct. The prison for Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, they. They say, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it isn't called that, but it's basically that, the D-District prison. Correct. So Lon and Rain don't have their powers anymore. They are saved from uh, saved from magic armor by Squall. I love Squall. Such a brooding, brooding man. I also he's, love Squall, yes. unironically. So he explains he and Quistus are from the League of S because Chapter 14 is the perfect time to introduce new things. <laughs> um <laughs> Explain. They capture. Um, their capture was a plot orchestrated to get the two into the castle dungeon. They decide to activate a Mako reactor, which is great. They're merging Final Fantasy seven and eight together um, on the lowest level. The castle can break free from its anchor. Ed- Edgar was in on it, so Edgar, you know, earlier was the one who helped get them captured. Squall says a contact is waiting from them at the bottom of the floor and might be able to restore their powers. When you told me this, I'm like, I had no clue who you're talking about. And that was the end. Of our segment four. Yeah, so this is an annoying dungeon. I think this is actually the dungeon that made Disa quit. Um, Which is weird. I didn't have no problems with it. I didn't either. I, somebody else in the Discord was complaining a lot, too, about this chapter. And I was like, really? I didn't. I think it was JS. Oh, well. So we actually probably should have already done this, but it uh, seems like a good time for a break. Huh, Rich? Yes, do it. <laughs> okay. I have, I have to go to the bathroom. We all have to go. What the hog? Hey folks, my name is Brett and I'm one of the hosts of Skeleton House, an audio-only Let's Play podcast where my two friends Jess What is happening? Oh my god! and Steve Even he looks spooked play through video games and I edit them, add context, and act as your eyeballs. Also, we have a cat. Come check us out at skeletonhouse.budsprout.com or look up Skeleton House on your favorite podcast app. Or your least favorite podcast app. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. What the honk? Alright, we're back. Segment five. Let's do it. Oh, by the way, we decided to cut this episode off after, uh, let's see here, segment six. Yep. So two more segments to go. Got this. So 
Chapter 15, the Mako Reactor and the Black Mages. So the New band name, I call it. (laughs) (laughs) Dibs. Uh, So the mysterious benefactor at the bottom of the, the, the reactor, who you might be able to get your powers back through, is Shilk from Dirge of Service. Yep. Okay. Which I thought was cool. A, I already mentioned how I liked they used some of the more obscure characters. And B, I'm a secret Dirge of Cerberus fan. I like it. <laughs> how and I you. like the story. So uh, so you meet Chilk and you fight her. I don't know why. I don't remember what it was. Um, she uses her countertech ability to remove the seals on Lawn and Rain's powers. So that makes it so that you have the ability to go. Now, we didn't mention this in the prior chapter. You had you didn't have your powers, but Squall gave you the ability to take over robots, right? Kind of like mirages and stuff. So then you can keep robots, like the Magitek armors, little scanners and and scorcher thingies or whatever. So now you have the ability of your magic and those guys. So you make your way through Mako Reactors um, Zero. At that point, a countdown is triggered. At the end of the fight, Vivi and a bunch of black mages show up. Fan favorite Vivi. Yeah, why would you make Vivi fight you? After trying to imprison Vivi, he explodes and comes back to his senses. Um, He convinced the other black mages to charge the reactor, allowing Figaro Castle to pull free from the Federation changes. So basically, superpowered your castle and ripped the chains off you. Um, Edgar explains the whole plan to the duo. Lightning is okay. They didn't poison lightning, because I feel like if you poison lightning, she'd be really pissed off. (laughs) Um, so Vivi decides to give you the Earth Key because you've already collected the Fire Key uh, when you were at um, Rydia in that um, volcano a couple chapters back. And then now you're on to the Land of Nought by night. Yeah. Um, uh, the Vivi thing, it didn't really do anything for me because I didn't think he really acted like Vivi that much. Like no, he was a he very didn't. happy-go-lucky kind of character. And obviously Vivi is a very shy almost melancholy character. <laughs> so also, I like my VV sad, <laughs> right? <laughs> I make him sad. No. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, squall. He's, he's nice. He gets better later, but this, this squall is like almost like a nothing character at this point. Anyway, yeah. chapter 16 clash on big bridge. Oh, everybody knows what that means. We got a, we're going to have something coming up with Gilgamesh here. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lon and Rain make it to Big Bridge, and here they meet Aiko, who I was another surpri- another surprise. I was like, oh, Aiko, didn't see that coming from Final Fantasy IX. Um, she's concerned that the twins are fulfilling the Crimson Prophecy, not the Azure. Shh, they are. <laughs> she's right. Yes. Um, so she explains the bridge is the Idolan Alexander, and she is its gatekeeper. I kind of would have appreciated like a wide shot of what exactly Alexander looks like as a whole. Yeah, they didn't even show that. Yeah. There is an intervention later where um, Anna Crow shows up to help Alexander at one point. Um, but you still don't get a good... It, it talks. They talk back and forth, but you still don't get a good sense of it. Anyway, um, she decides to let them pass, and so she powers up the lift, she being Echo, which is way too fast. So after Lawn and Rain... Aiko is actually, after Lon and Rain leave, she is actually captured by the Plumed Knight, which is no bueno. Also, this is a terrible dungeon. It's like just a long, tedious climb. 
that you ha- and you up. have to jump over to different sides and go back down sometimes if you want all the chests, which I did because it's a trophy. Um, <laughs> I did not. Yeah. <laughs> so they eventually run into Bartz, uh, the main character of Final Fantasy V, and his chocobo, Boko, who shows them how to use jump pads. And I actually like Bartz. I think he's like a pretty cool guy, just like a very chill, like cool dude, you know? He's not moody. He's just he's not overly happy go lucky. Just a cool guy. But anyway, um, he Bart says he's looking for some shady guy who's been going around yelling his name. And then of course at the top they learn that this is Gilgamesh who has an old grudge to settle with Bart's, but he doesn't remember what the grudge was, and Bart's doesn't even know who he is. So I'm assuming there's some kind of void shenanigans going on. I just had a thought. You know how Gilgamesh yeah. is the same character in every game. Yeah. I wonder if this Gilgamesh is still like the same, like not the world of final fantasy version. He is Gilgamesh. So like probably void dimension shenanigans made him forget what happened forever ago. But this Bart is not the same one. So that's why he didn't even recognize him. Boom. Yeah. Mystery solved. I figured it out. Case closed. All right. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so after you defeat Gilgamesh, they go their separate ways from Bart's. I didn't think Gilgamesh was very funny. Uh, I know he's kind of known for being a funny, humorous character, but once again, the the comedy falls flat for me anyway. Very, very flat. So chapter 17, Not But Nightmares. I'll let you take the first part of this. Okay. You didn't let me do my voice of the chapter thing. (laughs) You can do it again. Not by Nightmares. Feels sultry. Uh, So in a land uh, that is perpetually night, the twins go to the Library of the Ancients, uh, not the first time we've heard of library and ancients before. Yeah. Intent Final Fantasy VII, which they are there. There they are attacked by vampires, but saved by the one, the only, Cloud, who is in the League of S. I'm shocked they managed to hold Cloud back this this long in the game. Yeah. You know, it's much of a you know icon he is for Final Fantasy. Exactly. So he explains the people of the library slowly being converted into vampires. Okay. Okay. I don't know. That's why my, that was my reaction too. I'm like, vampires now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, he introduces them to Cecil's, um, who has been hired to guard Celeste. the library. Not Celeste. Celeste. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. Celeste. And hired to guard the library. And Sid. Dun dun dun. It would not be a Final Fantasy game without Sid. Um, a man who transformed his soul into a robot. Okay. All right, fine. <laughs> um, they decide to send the twins into the gr- train graveyard to take on the vampire prime. Is this ever been the first time a vampire has been introduced into a Final Fantasy game? I'm pretty sure one of the bosses in Final Fantasy 1 was a vampire. Okay, I couldn't remember. Um, but yeah, so I actually liked that they brought Celeste in. Um, she's my favorite character from 6 after Kefka. But again, it's like she, there's nothing really interesting about her in this game. But anyway, I think it was around this point that I had given up on on the game <laughs> heating up. You know, like I I wasn't hating it or anything, but it's just like okay, we're I'm just gonna keep going. You know. But anyway, so you go through the like dungeon. Yeah, <laughs> you go through the dungeon, which is actually a pretty cool dungeon. That being said, the train graveyard. Because the trains are like stacked on top of each other, like you go way high into the sky. Um, but you get to the top, and Rain is kidnapped. So Lon rescues her, and they fight the vampire Prime. However, Rain becomes a vampire herself. 
So at this point, Cloud shows up and gives Lon a wooden stake to drive through the Vampire Prime's heart, which turns all the vampires back to normal, and they get the Shadow Key. I will say Vampire Rain was actually kind of scary. So, <laughs> hmm. um, so they get the Shadow Key, and then they go back to the library, and they have a brief little debate on why people are comfortable living under the Federation's rule, which reminded me of the Midgar as a pizza scene from FF early FF7. <laughs> Why are the that people comfortable sense. being under Shinra? Um, or why don't they leave Midgar if it sucks, you know? So Sid tells them the next key is in a place called Besaide, which I was super excited about because Final Fantasy X and Besaide is like the best area in that game. Yeah. But that was the end of segment five. So we got one more to go. One more. Let's do this. So go for it. Okay. Chapter 18. The Fell Spell and the Quacho Queen. You can't just say words, okay? They have to mean something. <laughs> this means nothing. So um, the pair meets with the Cactuar conductor, and there's this ongoing little subplot that starts somewhere around here where Rain is pissed because she can't catch the Cactuar conductor. Like, she hates him for reasons I don't remember. Um, the train takes them straight up through an underwater area and to Port Besaid. So the, uh, the townspeople tell them about a sunken people a sunken temple nearby and then they go to the village shaman shantoto who is an awesome character who uh curses them with the inability to breathe air and she gets mad when rain doesn't really respond well to that and you have a story battle here and shantoto kicks your ass <laughs> yeah i think there's a way later on where shantoto is a super boss so where you actually have to fight her um in the side quests anyway they wake up in barrels, and Shintoto sends Titus with them to, like, escort them into the water. Um, I thought Besaid was cool. Like, I guess what they were going for is this was what Besaid would be like if it had been built up instead of being destroyed by sin every so often. So, that was neat. Um, and then, of course, I, I really like Shintoto as a character. Anyway, so while swimming... Titus reveals that Shintoto won't reverse the curse unless they bring her a Quacho Ruby, which apparently is only shed by the Quacho Queen every decade when she cries. So they explore the sunken temple and climb on walls, and they eventually find the Quacho Queen, who hates men. And Lon, being a man, you know, she hates him too. Because yep. she almost starts to t like trust Rain, and then Lon rounds the corner. <laughs> um. So you defeat her, and she runs off crying maniacally in pursuit of some tomberries that apparently stole the key from her. So you follow them into like the under the ocean, and you fight a tomberry king, and you, you get the key. So then back on land, Shentoto reverses the curse. And at this point, Yuna arrives, and she, see, she seems angry because like she thinks Ron... Ron? Ron and Lane. <laughs> Lon and Rain kidnapped Rydia and Aiko. So she thinks that they're after the summoners for some reason because they disappeared shortly after Lon and Rain uh, encountered them. Of course, right, like literally right after this, Yuna herself is kidnapped by the uh, the plume tonight, I believe. So, good job protecting her, everybody. Yeah, did a great job. <laughs> um, so with the keys, like this cool looking rainbow staircase to the crystal tower appears, and then Rain is like expressing doubt like she thinks they're like falling right into a trap spoiler alert they are um but of course you know lawn rallies her is like well what are we supposed to do just give up and go home like we can't which i guess i get that but 
They should have. Yeah. <laughs> they sh- yeah, they really should have based on what happens. But it all works out in the end. Um, let's see. I think maybe should we just finish out this segment or should we? I think we should probably just stop here, right? Yeah, After let's Bethesda. just want to stop here. Yeah. yeah. Let's just yeah. chapter. I'll have to remember we start on chapter 19 next time. Here, I'm going to highlight this. Yes. I don't get why. What is the Quacho Queen? Why did she have to be a character? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Who, yeah. did you, who decides these things? Uh, I don't know. Like a Quacho isn't even like an iconic Final Fantasy thing. No. Okay. Nothing. So by this point in the story, I think both me and my ugh, Rich and myself were kind of like, okay, let's just fin- finish this, you know? Yep. It, it hurt a lot. There's things I don't I, know why. Yeah. There's things I like about it. Um, but the story is just like, other than the beginning and the end, it's like a Saturday morning cartoon, like episodic thing, kind of. That's what they should have done. They should have done an episodic. It, when this game came out, there was a lot of different Final Fantasy or Square Enix games that were episodic. Didn't Life is Strange come out? And like we started seeing a lot of uh, Tales games, or not Tales games, a lot of uh, Telltales. Um, That's a good Those point. type of games come out. This should have been one of those, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we won't spend too long like on our final thoughts on the story so far because we, we're not done yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. I feel like we've been trashing the game so far, and it, it's it is a good game. Like I, but it's just not. It didn't it's, do it for us. Yeah, it's a good game for people that would enjoy this type of art style and things like that. Um, but it just didn't register with us that well. Yeah. So. We'll get some more opinions from the listeners, and I, I think Bill loved the game, so hopefully he'll give us a tea time for next episode yeah. as well. But we'll, uh, I think that's a good spot for us to put a pin in. So let's uh, go ahead and close this part of the story out, shall we? Or review. It's actually kind of weird that I picked the Besaid theme as like the <laughs> the ending transition here. But and that's how we and stopped. Then we, and then we ended up, yeah. But that's it for this part of the review. We managed to trudge back through that uh, first half of the story, I guess you could say. Story. <laughs> Rich, it should be obvious, but what are we doing next week? Well, next week, Scott, we are doing the World of Final Fantasy Review Part 2. Uh, gameplay ratings and we're going to finish up the story right off the bat um so come join us yep and we will also plan we are planning on doing the first secret of mana rpg club that episode as well hopefully speaking of the rpg club again one more reminder the current game is secret of mana the goal is to finish the earth palace and that's due by Sunday, July 11th. We really want everybody to play along with us. You know, it's a classic. So we'll get some uh, opinions varying from across the board. Should be fun. JRPG July is still going on. Um, 
Frost says, or an underground, it's also called the Underground Palace, so just keep that in mind. Um, JRPG July, keep an eye out for, like, on the Discord or, like, a tweet out on the Twitter. We'll try to get, like, some people signed up for the event, the monthly event. Be interesting to see, like, everybody's progress during the game, and hopefully we'll get some uh, exposure through that as well. Yeah. Plugs. It would help us out a lot if you could go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a rate and review a rating and a review. We really appreciate that. It really helps the show. It's got the algorithm and all that shit. Um, yeah, it's like the best way to help us outside of, you know, giving us money. Speaking of which, you can also sign up for our Patreon. Uh, that's at patreon.com slash RPG after years. You get lots of benefits such as early episode access, ad free episodes, extra reviews, and you get to participate in the nominations and voting for the RPG Club. And a lot more. Real quick, I do want to clarify that everybody is welcome to participate in the RPG Club. It's just the patrons get to take part in the selection process of what game we pick. Correct. I saw some yep. confusion about that on Twitter this week, so I wanted to clear the air here. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I did see that, too. We appreciate all our patrons. Yes, yes. So... Normally, we are streaming live on a certain day, but this week didn't line up that well, so me and Scott are here on today. But normally, we're streaming every Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash RPG after years. Come see us. Next week will be a weeknight, too. So just to yep. keep an eye on our Twitter or our Discord or whatever. You can also find me at twitch.tv slash the Scott Spot. We have a good time. It's the underscore Scott underscore Spot. Um, another way you could support the show, we have a merch store on Redbubble. That's at redbubble.com slash people slash RPG after years slash explore. You can get a, a a mug. You can get a poster that's behind me here. We've got shirts. we got all kinds of merch, so go check it out. Yes. If you don't want to leave us a review and you want to give us some feedback that is not positive, but you just want to help us out, you can... Excuse me. Email the show at rpgafteryears at gmail.com. That you can. We also have a Discord. Uh, the link to that can be found on the show notes or our pinned tweet on Twitter. Come join. We have, it's fun. Like, I, I love being in there. And it's like just a good community, you know? Except for when we argue about, like, what's the best version of each Final Fantasy game in nah. the, this, these pixel remasters. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Um, and then again, speaking of Twitter, you can find me. What am I talking about? You can find the show at RPG Years, and you can find me at the Scott Spot with no underscores. And you can find me at Hail Blue One Five Six Nine. And that's it for episode sixty-nine. Nice. nice. Personally, I hope to not think about Waff's story again for a while. But I wrote this sentence before I knew we were going to cut this episode up. So take that, past Scott. Join us next week for episode 70 for the conclusion of our review, as well as the first Secret of Mana RPG Club. Until then, I'm Scott. And I'm Rich. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.